Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, this kind of sucks. Welcome, Duke fans. Episode 591 of the DBR podcast, the Duke Basketball Roundup. I'm Jason Evans. I'm here with Donald Wine. Donald, how you doing this morning? This sucks. I think you summed it up perfectly. There we go. There we go. That's it. Duke band. Play us out. Take us home. Take us home. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we can joke. We're here on the morning after the Blue Devils lost to UNC by nine points. Uh, that was a really frustrating game because we were kind of like it was I think it was tied at like 22 about 10 minutes left or so or like 12 mm-hmm. minutes uh, 12 minutes into the first half looked like it was going to be a back and forth kind of one of these kind of contests and Carolina stretched it out and it never got stretched back. <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny. We we made the first basket of the game that was and then we had the lead for about 16 seconds. Yep. And that was the last time we had the lead was about, yeah. you know, 30 seconds into the game. It just yeah, I. Can we, you know, before we get into the headlines and stuff, can we just start with, I think, the main thing from this? Everyone, and we'll, we can just very quickly, everybody that talked in the post-game press conference, John Shire, John Mc, or Jeremy Kane, Jeremy Roach, all talked about effort and energy. That was the main theme of this game. I know we'll talk a lot about, about that, but I have to hey, say hey, that... Hey, that's my entire bad. <laughs> that it, it, it's, it's everything they focused on, and it... I think the reason why it sucks sums this up is that in this game, in this rivalry, all of us need no, you know, reason to be amped, to not be amped up about this, right? You and I were excited about this game. We had, we had did two previews on this game because it's that important to us. It's that important to everyone who's listening to this. It's important to everybody who's a part of this rivalry from the, you know, the people on the team to the fans to again, neighbors, you know, I I was dressed in all Duke blue yesterday. I went to the Marquette Georgetown game uh, with some friends. Well, and that was a. <laughs> by the way, Marquette. Well, Marquette they mollywopped Georgetown. Wow. Smoked them, right? But everyone in the gym was focused on our game. There was a lot of Gotar heels, like you know, yelling in my direction. Which, again, this is something that transcends even the rivalry. Everyone sure. is in, invested in this. Everyone is hyped up about this. So for us to come out flat really 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 sucks yeah look um you and i could probably spend another 20 minutes talking about effort energy intensity and all yeah that. of course let's wait uh we we have a pattern that we follow on these things and we will adhere to the pattern come uh you know rain or shine win or lose 
And the pattern says, we begin with the headlines. Chris Bynum uh, had this one. And by the way, there's some, we got some spicy emails. We got some very spicy emails. Some were not, some were not for t- uh, for radio. Uh, no, <laughs> no. Chris Bynum gave us, Duke loses five on eight on the road to UNC. Chris definitely felt that the free throw shooting, the performance of the referees left something to be desired. I don't disagree with him. I'm not sure that I would. I'm not going to. This is not one of those games I'm going to put all the way on the refs. Uh, And Duke needs to learn to adjust to how the refs are calling the game. But Chris is not wrong that at times it felt like five on eight out there. Ken Swanner gave us McCain gets beat by heels. Rest of Duke team, no shows. Again, I'm, I'm not. That's. That's pretty harsh. I'm not so sure I would go that far. I, I feel like I feel like Jared McCain. I, I mean, I'm sorry. I, I feel like Mark Mitchell played pretty hard. Jeremy Roche certainly played hard. Caleb Foster was okay at times. You know, I'm not going to say that the whole team didn't know show, but it did at times feel like it was Jared McCain against the entire Tar Heel team. Josh Levinson. This is a clever one. Now you have to listen to this one and pay attention to it, folks. He says, Devils don't need a clue it was Baycott and Ingram in the Dean Dome with a sledgehammer and blowtorch. That was my favorite one. Man, that I thought was, that was I think that brilliant. Was, that was brilliant. And the by the way, the brilliant part about it was by saying Baycott and Ingram with a sledgehammer and blowtorch, it, it was perfect pairing because Armando Baycock pounded us and Harrison Ingram was on fire. So I thought, mm-hmm. again, Josh, that was that was first rate, baby. Eric Bishop gave us a lot of D's. You ready for the D? We got a couple here coming up with a lot of D's. Eric Bishop said, Devil's D disorganized in Dean Dome. John Grantland gave us Dean Dome doomed. Dominant defense decimates dismal devils. Wow. (laughs) I should wait. I'm going to read that one again because I barely got through it. Dean Dome doomed. Dominant defense decimates dismal devils. I mean, that was that was impressive. by John Uh, Richard George gave us devils offer no defense to UNC claim of ACC superiority. Um. Yeah, uh, this was a battle for first place in the ACC, and uh, Richard is absolutely right. UNC gets to rule the roost for the moment. And the last one I had, and this is an interesting one, John Donald, Jamie Keffer. It's a long one. He said this, disappointment in the Dean Dome. Duke's sophomoric effort made Devils no match for Carolina's intensity and discipline. And he pointed out sophomoric effort. That, that, that word is a double meaning here. Because Jamie, Jamie was pointing out that Duke's sophomores, in his opinion, did not come to play. And preview, when we get to the bad, I am going to talk about Cal Filipowski and Tyrese Proctor. But we're going to do the good first, Donald. Let me start with you. I'm just going to pluck something out of the air. I'm just going to guess that you're probably going to start with Jared McCain and the good. Am I right? Well, here's the thing. I want to I, I want to start with Jared McCain, but I want to do it as in kind of a group fashion because this is a game that we had three guys score 20 points. Very rarely do you lose a basketball game where three guys score 20 points each, led by Jared McCain. Hey, wait, by Jared the way, McCain. do you know the last time we did it? Do you know the last time Duke had three guys score 20 points? No, I do not. 2022 against Syracuse. Mark Williams, uh, uh, Adrian Griffin, and... I mean, AJ Griffin and uh, shoot, I forget who I think it was Flip, but it was a, okay. a, a Syracuse game where we no Flip and Mark Williams wouldn't have been. On the it wouldn't have been Flip. It wouldn't have been Flip. No, it must uh, been Paul. I, I forget who the third one was, but it was one of those games. It was one of those games where we were just bombing away from three against Syracuse. 
So yeah, it probably was Paulo in that year. It um, was Paulo. Yeah, probably. Yeah. But yes, three guys scored 20 points each, led by Jeremy Kane, 23 points, 11 rebounds, two steals, one assist. And Jason, when we talk about some of the, the things that went wrong in this game, I can say I start by saying in the form of Jared McCain, very rarely it is very easy for a freshman to get lost in the moment of this rivalry. Jared McCain was not lost. He was very much ready for this game. He was very much ready for this moment. And I appreciate the fact that he came and he busted his butt on both ends of the floor for the entirety of the stretch that he was in the game. I thought he played, I thought he was the best player on the team. At times, he was the best player on the court. And that's, again, yeah. um, in the rivalry that's loaded with stars, he was the best player on the court at times in this basketball game. And I thought he shouldered the responsibility that he had very, very well, which, again, is not something you expect to ask of a freshman. But I didn't ask Jeremy Kane to do this, and he did it anyway. So hats off to Jeremy Kane for how he played. Yeah, and, and you mentioned is you know you mentioned the stats twenty three points eleven rebounds two steals. I wanted to add a couple other stats to that. He only had one turnover, and mm-hmm. biggest one to me was he paid played a team leading thirty eight minutes more than thirty eight minutes in this game. Uh, it That's was, been a trend lately. The fact yeah. that you know we talk about you know Jer- you know Jeremy Roach has been getting minutes, but once Jer- uh, Jeremy Roach went out with the ankle injury, Jeremy McCain's been the guy really towards the top in terms of minutes played. Yeah, and I wanted to mention that I thought, you, and you briefly alluded to this, I thought McCain played well on defense as well. He was really creative. Look, the offense is the thing we're going to focus on with him because he was really creative in finding seams through that Carolina defense, and that Carolina defense was tough to pierce. He was the guy who was figuring out ways to get into you know dangerous places. Um, he, he is clearly, clearly more than just a long-range shooter. I mean, we've known this for a while, but he is just expanding his game each time Duke goes out on the floor and making himself more and more dangerous. He took 12 two-point field goals in this game. It's the first game all year where he shot more than seven two-point field goals. So, I mean, that's a big leap. Seven was the previous high. This game, he took 12 two-point field goals. We know he can hit threes, but he's really showing now that he can hit twos as well. And this was his third 20-plus point game in Duke's last five games. I thought McCain was absolutely outstanding. And I want to segue from him to the other guy that I thought had a really, really nice game on offense, and that's Jeremy Roach. Seemed healthy, seemed asserted for the first time. Yeah, not not the assertive, but the healthy part. Healthy for the first time in a while, but seemed his mm-hmm. his assertive self, especially in the first half. I think it was crafty, like McCain was. Found ways to score, found ways. You know, um, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of the mid-range jumper, but when Jeremy Roach is finding his way into the lane and taking that, you know, that almost that foul line kind of jumper that he gets, dude, I'll, I'll, I'll take that all day. Cause he hits that thing like 65 plus percent of the time. And he and McCain were the clear offensive highlights um, for this game. I mean, we did score 84 points in this contest. That's enough to win for Duke virtually almost every game. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, there, there's, there's no way. No way Duke is even competitive in this game without Jared McCain and Jeremy Roach being as creative as they were on offense. And and it was their creativity. It was not the passing of their teammates, uh, which is something we'll get to in the bat. I, I think another guy who I think deserves kudos for how he played for, again, for large stretches of this game, Mark Mitchell, 
Uh, he wasn't as big a factor on offense as we've seen in previous weeks. You know, he's had a couple of 20-point games, but still he had 11 points, seven rebounds, two assists, two blocks. Again, he asserts himself on both ends of the floor. He he was our leading block guy, you know, block shot get, getter. Um, and, and just on defense, again, he makes it where they have to alter their shots and have to really think about how they approach the basket because he is so great at, at you know, defending inside the paint. I thought that was, you know, great. And I think on offense, even he picked his spots yet. Yeah, he missed his first three since December, right? Which is something that we've been talking about his three-point shooting <laughs> the, the failures, but he, he he went a whole month without, without missing a three. He finally misses one, but even still it was taken in the flow of the offense. I think he's focused a lot on trying to find those open spaces and letting his teammates get him the ball in those spaces so that he can make something happen. He had a couple of, you know, dunks or, or layups that were kind of wide open where he was able to find an open space and someone got him the ball and all he had to do was finish it. So I, I'm really, really uh, uh, at least focused on the fact that Mark Mitchell has found what I feel like his groove is. And he's not trying to be the guy who's going for 25, 30 points a game. Right. He's just trying to, you know, fit into the offense where he can. And, and I think his hustle is where, uh, you know, where he's most lethal, right? He can help, he can get you on offense and get you on defense, but really just about the guys that he's keeping in front of you and also just his motor. I, I think his motor is the thing that needs to continue to to press on as we move along in the season. So let me get to a couple of other things in the good that don't relate specifically to offense. I, I wanted to mention that we battled them uh, even pretty much on the boards. We did not let, mm-hmm. uh, Armando Baycott had four offensive rebounds, but for the most part, we didn't let them kill us on the offensive boards. And, and that had been, a concern of Duke fans. I mean, I guess it's good that we battled them so evenly. It's worth noting that Carolina battled us evenly on the boards while only really sending two or three guys to the glass for the most part. <laughs> uh, it was Ingram and Baycott who did almost all the rebounding for UNC. And as a result, they were able to, to leak guys out, especially on the defensive boards, you know, leak guys out so that they could get out in the fast break faster than Duke was. We were sending you know, we we're pretty much sending four, maybe even five guys to the glass, and Carolina was really only sending three. But uh, at least we did not get beat on the boards. And then I wanted to mention that I thought on defense, Tyrese Proctor, Caleb Foster, and also Roach and McCain each took turns playing R.J. Davis. In fact, there were some times that Mark Mitchell got switched on to him as well. Mm-hmm. And they did a really nice job on the ACC's leading score. He had to work. R.J. Davis had to work hard for his points. Uh, and we didn't just let him pass out of double teams to wide open teammates all game long and get a bunch of assists. You tell me that Duke's going to hold RJ Davis to five of 14 shooting. And I tell you that I think Duke should have a really good shot in this game. Now, I didn't know that Armando Baycott and Harrison Ingram would both have their best games of the season at the same time. <laughs> I mean, who knew that Armando Baycott would have as many points in this game as in his last four games combined? I mean, come on. But I did want to, in the good, mentioned that I thought that Proctor and Foster especially and also the other guys that helped them out we did a nice job on RJ Davis who coming into the game all of us would have said was the big problem in playing Carolina you know Jason when we talked in our previews I say previews plural uh, there was a you mentioned a couple of stats that we said that if they do if Duke does this right then we're in a position to win this ball game you mentioned you know holding RJ to under his season average they did that you mentioned the rebounding battle, keeping it close. As you mentioned, they only lost it, you know, 35 to 34. I'm, I'm happy with that. Second chance points. Duke wins 16 to 14. 
we said if we could be better with them in second chance points, that means we're getting the basket more and we're getting creating more opportunities and limiting theirs. I thought we did well there. Points in the paint. Duke had 54 points in the we paint. We dominated them. It's crazy. We dominated them in the paint. UNC only had 36. And it, when you look at these stats, and you again, you look at the fact that we haven't, we barely mentioned Kyle Filipowski. He had 22 points, and I know we're going to talk about him in the bad. I do want to mention the good that, again, there was three guys that scored 20 points each. Kyle Filipowski was one of them. He had five rebounds, one block. And it, you know, the points in the paint, we dominated them in the paint. We got the second chance points. We held our own on rebounds. We limited their the best score in the ACC to under his season average. What what could have gone wrong, right? The, when you look at these stats, you kind of go, what what happened with Duke to cause them to lose this basketball game? And it wasn't those areas that there was a point of emphasis on because I thought they did well in those areas. All right, so we're not going to get into what went wrong yet. That's coming up in a moment. But I do got a couple other things I want to mention in the good before we take a break and get to the bad. I... This may seem a little counterintuitive, but I want to mention our poise. I don't think Duke seemed overwhelmed by the moment. I don't think we panicked. When we got down 8, 10, 13, I think, I think we may have been down as much as 15 at one point. I thought we largely kept our cool. We kept on trying to fight back. Look, there are, there are intangible aspects of this game, hustle and energy, where, where Duke was clearly lacking. But I don't think we let the bright lights of the moment overwhelm us. And especially guys like McCain and Foster, who are first time, first timers in this kind of atmosphere, in this kind of game, I thought they didn't seem, again, overwhelmed by the moment. Again, there are a lot of intangibles. Donald, you talked about the stats, the stats that went our way or the stats that did not go poorly. And yet this was a game where Duke, I don't think Duke was ever within less than eight points in the entire second half. I may have missed mm -hmm. it, but I, we cut it to eight a couple times, but we could not get it less than that. But I, I, again, I didn't see this Duke team panic, and they are still a young team, and so I'm going to take something positive out of that. And then my last thing, and then I'll let you have the final say in the good. I thought somehow playing on the road against a team that everyone says is a strong national title contender, a team that has dudes three to five years older than all but one or two of Duke's players, I mean, Cormac Ryan, they pointed out, is 25. A Carolina team that had twice as many assists, twice as many steals, had a key player in Harrison Ingram play his best game of his career, had Armando Baycott, potential All-American, play his best game of his season. Duke only lost by nine. I mean, this game felt like an outlier from Ingram and Baycott. It felt like an outcry, outlier for Tyrese Proctor. And Duke only lost by nine. I feel like we can learn from this. And we can really put them in their place when they come to Durham. I, 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 I said in the pregame that I was not confident, I was pessimistic about Duke at Carolina. Coming out of this game, as silly as it sounds, I'm pretty optimistic about our odds of beating them in Durham. We are highly likely to see this UNC team three, te three times this year, I think. I think it's pretty darn, pretty darn likely that we're going to play them three times. And there's no way either team's going to sweep all three games. That's just not happening. These teams are too good to have any team sweep them three times. So if we have to lose one, this is the time and the place to do it. <laughs> do it. Do it in, you know, early February. Don't do it in March. That's that's my last good. I I disagree with that, only the sense that I I, I want to win the You want to sweep right. them. I know. I want I know. to sweep everything, right? I, I'm I don't talking care logically, if it's badminton. I don't care if it's friend. chess. I don't care if it's 
supermarket sweep, I want to beat them. Um, but having said that, I think I agree with you, right? Like the, the poise was there. Like it wasn't that there were guys shying away from the moment, right? Like it wasn't guys playing scared. Uh, and even when they were down, they were still fighting. And I think the one thing is we, we've seen our team down quite a bit this year and we've seen that fight continue. Um, so I, I, I like the fact that it consisted, uh, it continued here. And when you look at this game, right, it, it doesn't do us any service, right, as Duke fans, but Neutral fans probably saw what they thought was a really, really good game between two teams, and they're probably leaving that game thinking, "Yeah, UNC is really good, but Duke is good too." And I think it, again that gives that does us no service because we're talking about that in a loss. But this team can be a very good basketball team. We see it there, and I saw some of that potential last night during the game. Obviously, there's some things we got to work on and make it where we can go from good to great to elite. There you go. All right, Donald. I have three pages of notes, and I've only gone through one of them. So it's time for us to take a break. There's a lot to talk about in the bad. This was, uh, you know, yeah, we're, we're trying to put a positive spin on things. This is not this is not a game that the Blue Devils are going to want to think about a lot other than to learn from it. We are going to take a quick break. On the other side, energy, effort, intensity. We'll be talking about those things when we come back. This episode of the Duke Basketball Roundup is sponsored by BetterHelp. Springtime is the season that's supposed to feel like a new beginning. We have better weather, and it feels like everyone gains a boost of energy. However, for many, leaving winter behind doesn't always mean that their mood lightens up with the extra sunlight. We all carry around stress, and that stress can build as more events get added to your calendar. That's certainly true, Donald. And with the amount of social gatherings... Increasing with the improving weather and more daylight, there's more pressure to be on when you're interacting with family, friends, coworkers, even strangers, even when stress has you a little bit down. And for some, getting advice from a therapist can help you tackle some of that stress without affecting you or the people you care about. That's what BetterHelp is all about. It's entirely online and it's designed to be therapy that's convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a professional licensed therapist. And you can switch therapists anytime you want. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try and find your social sweet spot. Visit betterhelp.com slash Duke Roundup today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash Duke Roundup. Back from the break, as I mentioned, you know, Donald, I wish there was a stat for 50-50 balls. You know, I wish there was some way we could qualify. I, I, don't, I don't want to see it for this game. <laughs> there should be someone. That, that's, that, that'd be next generation stats. We should need some. We need someone who, who, like at a given moment, pushes a button and goes, that's a 50-50 ball. The ball's on the ground. Who's going to get this one? You know, it's a rebound that's kind of a long rebound and been tapped around a little bit. Who's going to get this 50-50 ball? I wish we could track it. Although I kind of am glad we can't because I'm pretty sure that Duke lost like 80 or 90% of the 50-50 balls I, last night. I, I, I don't even know if it's that, if it's that low. It might be higher than that. Yeah. I, I, I can't remember one 50-50 ball that we, that we ended up with. 
Man, that I ball that uh, that ball that Harrison Ingram dove on the floor for and tossed out that led to a Cormac Ryan three from the corner. It was a mm-hmm. ten point game when that happened. There was about six minutes left. That play happened, and I just went, "That's the game in a nutshell." And we're not going to win. UNC played harder. They played faster. They played with more energy than Duke the entire contest. I mean, it started from the very beginning. Literally every defensive rebound, they were off and running. And Duke was like, oh, wait, wow, what's that flying past me? Oh, it's a Carolina player who's about to get a layup. Oh, all that energy just made the game so much easier for them and so much harder for us. Uh, I could talk about this forever. I'm let, you take it for a little bit, and then I'll come back well, to it. Well, no, I, I I have a lot of notes on this too, and I'm just th- thinking about the, uh, you know, the post game press conference I mentioned. John Shire, Jeremy Roach, and Jared McCain were all the the three people who spoke uh, to the media. Oh, they John knew. Shire, they knew, <laughs> and they knew, and they all talked about it, right? But here's the thing, Jason. I'm gonna just go back to the first point you made about the loose balls. John Shire led with the fact that the main story for him was the loose balls. He said, "quote." As you look throughout the game, they were hungrier to get them, and it turned into, I'll have to go back and watch the film to see, but I bet close to 15, maybe even 20 points. That's a huge disparity. And again, if uh, 50-50 balls, if you get those, you know, especially on, on defense, you get those. Like you mentioned, there was one where it turned into a Cormac Ryan three. That three doesn't happen if we have the ball. Dude, you know, dude, there's there's going to be a Duke manager. I don't know which one it'll be, but there will be a Duke manager who spends his day today watching that game film. And I talked about the stat. They're going to be tracking those 50-50 balls and how many points they turned into for Carolina. I, yeah, I, I doubt John Shire will share it with us, but that stat exists in the mind of the Duke team. And it just, again, it leads to the fact, it leads to all of these things, right? The, the effort, the energy, the intensity. UNC wanted this game more than we did. And, and, and in, in, when you have all these things go right, as we talked about in the good, that one thing, energy, effort, and intensity was the one thing we said that that needed to be ha- that needed to happen, that we figured we wouldn't have to worry about because it was a Duke UNC game, and it happened. The one There was one team that was hungrier than the others. They got almost every single loose ball. It turned into points that were the difference in this ball game. And again, when I when I I just want to look at Jeremy Roach's comments too, before I go back to you, Jason, he just put simply. Quote, we just got out-competed, out-toughed. It's very tough, especially in this rivalry. We got to come back Wednesday and get the win. Like, I know they're looking ahead to Wednesday, but the fact that he says that they were out-competed and out-toughed in this rivalry, that is the difference between winning and losing. Sometimes, Jason, it's not by nine points. Sometimes it's by two. Sometimes it's by one. But that when you can't lead with that in a Duke UNC after or post-game presser, and know that to be true, because if it is, then that means you didn't show up. And that's the that's the real hurt in this is that, like I said, we were ready. The fan base was ready. You know, the players I thought were ready to play, and I thought they rose to the moment. But you can't get out competed in this rivalry. Yeah, and you know the way that it translated. It translated into easy points for Carolina and difficult mm-hmm. points for Duke. It felt to me. We, we talked about the fast breaks already and the way Carolina was able to get out and get easier opportunities than the Blue Devils did. But on but the other aspect of it was it just felt to me like Duke was working its butt off for everything. Nothing came easy. And a lot of it is I thought we were playing for the foul throughout much of the contest. Like Duke guys would jump into the lane and expect the refs to bail them out. And I want to be clear, the refs were terrible. And allowed way, way, way too much contact. 
But as a team, you have to were. adjust Roger, to Roger that. Ayers. Roger Roger Ayers was in this game, of course. That once you read that on the stat sheet, he knew it was going to be a long night. But yeah. they should too. Yeah. It, it uh, look there was a play. My 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 buddy Eric Rothschild, who is a really smart observer of Duke basketball, sent me an email about this. The play where Armando Baycott sort of turned sideways and slammed his body into Kyle Filipowski, and the refs called nothing. Now Kyle sort of recovered from it, and as a result of it, had an open lane to the to the basket, and he dunked it. You know, great, fabulous for him. But that was an example of a play where it's ridiculous that no foul was called. It, again, it was good for Duke that no foul was called, but. It wasn't a play where the refs didn't blow their whistle because they saw that Filipowski had an advantage. They're like, oh, we'll, we'll let... They didn't blow their whistle because they weren't going to call huge contact like that as a foul. And the problem I had with it is that we saw Duke again and again and again try to play like the refs were going to bail them out, like the refs were going to call a foul. And you, you saw McCain do it. We saw Roach do it. We saw Kyle do it. We saw Ryan Young do it. We saw Mark Mitchell do it. They'd go into the lane. They'd get hacked and nothing would get called. And uh, again, I, I feel like the refs blew it. But at the same time, Duke needed to find a way to adjust to that. Because I feel like the refs were calling it the same way at both ends. But in the end, the free throw margin was the difference in this game. Carolina shot 25 free throws. Duke only shot 11. Carolina won by nine. I don't know how many more free throws they made than Duke. They made nine more free throws than Duke did. How can a team attacking the basket the way Duke was attacking the basket only get 11 free throws? You mentioned Roger Ayers, but it's also Ron Groover and Brian O'Connell. We talked about, you know, Duke shying from the moment. I think those guys shied from the moment. They were overwhelmed by the crowd. I heard from another people, by the way, that the crowd at Carolina was really, really impressive. Like one of the best crowds folks have ever heard at Carolina. And I think those refs were a little overwhelmed. They allowed an older and physically stronger UNC team to dictate the amount of contact that would be played in this game. And frankly, that's not the, the ref's job is to dictate it, not to allow one team to pick the level and go, okay, that's how we're going to play. And I want to be clear again, I'm not putting this loss on the refs. Duke needed to find a way to adjust. But at the same time, man, that free throw disparity, the fact that <laughs> Duke didn't shoot a free throw in the entire first half. I was going to say did. UNC. I think I think UNC had ten free throws before we attempted one. That's ridiculous, and it's it's unfair because Duke was Duke was playing a way that they know how to play, and the refs just said no. The, the rules are different this game, guys. Yeah, figured out. We're not going to play this game the same way you've played every other basketball game in your life. If Armando Baycott throws his body into Kyle Filipowski, practically knocks him down. Play on, guys. Keep going. If Jared McCain goes in the lane, if Ryan Young goes in the lane, gets sandwiched between two guys, and the ball pops out, play on. Figure out what's happening next. It's, it's the next play mentality. It's, it's the real... next play mentality that's been the mantra of Duke for so many years, right? Like you, like it's part of the adjustment period. At this point, we had TV Teddy on Monday. We had Roger Ayers last night. You have to know that there are some there are some guys in this league that when they show up, you know that these games are going to be officiated in a inconsistent, poor management kind of way. And you have to adjust to it. And it's, it, this wasn't something where I feel like that free throw disparity really cost us the game because it was more the adjustment in it 
that led to the you know the disparity i think and i i i think unc saw hey if we do this they're going to call it let's just keep doing it right they they went to harrison harrison ingram they went to you know armando baycott they said hey these guys are going to keep doing with you know keep doing this and keep calling fouls on duke why stop and that's what they did i think jason one of the things you know right really 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 quick to me it was a little bit indicative of the tennessee game last year the game that duke lost in the NCAA tournament Mm-hmm. Where, where one team was was older and more physical, and once the refs decided they were going to allow the game to be played on a more physical level, Duke had trouble adjusting to that. And like in the Tennessee game, Tyrese Proctor was the guy who said, okay, I'm just going to step up on offense and take over on offense, and almost got Duke back in the game. Jared McCain tried to do the same thing for Duke this year, but in both games, the physicality made a huge difference in how the style of the game was played. And it was just a style that was not conducive to Duke winning. So uh, that's the out-tough part, right, that Jeremy Roach was alluding to. That's the out-tough part. Here's the out-compete part. I said in my preview that for Duke to have a chance to win this game, there's a lot to, that that can happen. But one thing that couldn't happen was that one of Elliot Cadeau, uh, Cormac Ryan, or Harrison Ingram would go off. And, well, Harrison Ingram went off. And not only just from three, right? He was five for nine from three. He didn't just have the, you know, the double double, but it was also his hustle. Like you mentioned, there was a couple, not just one, but several plays where he was ended up with the ball in his hand and was able to get points out of it. Not necessarily him, but UNC was able to get points out of every single one of those possessions. They felt like backbreakers every single time that he was involved in a play. And that was the key here is that Harrison Ingram had the game of his life and it was it's all credit to him. But also he found ways. He basically said, hey, they're not worried about me. They're worried about Armando Baycott and RJ Davis, really. They're worried about maybe stopping uh, you know, dribble penetration from Elliot Cadeau, which I thought for the most part we did. And at the end of the day, RJ Davis, as you mentioned, was held under his season average. Armando Baycott, he goes off. He gets his 25 points. And we're, we're still thinking, hey, that's fine. If he gets 25, RJ gets 17. We're still in, we're still in position to win this ballgame. We did not account for Harrison Ingram. That's the issue here. And he was able to, you know, just bomb away. You know, once he got hot, we didn't have an answer for that because that was not in the game plan. It probably wasn't in UNC's game plan either for him to shoot nine threes and go five for nine. But here we are. And I think that was that was one of the keys here is that, you know, they had a guy, they had an X factor who, you know, stole the show uh, for the most part. Yeah. He's probably, you know, when they were parting on Franklin State last night, they were probably chanting his name before a lot of others because he really set the tone for what they were doing offensively. And even in some of these, you know, where we played some good defense, it ended with Harrison Ingram in a corner or on a wing hitting a three. And again, those were, it felt like every time he touched the ball and had an impact on the play, it was a backbreaker for Duke. So I want to get to one more statistical thing before we get to individual players. Cause there are going to be two individual players that I'm going to take the task. But I'll, I'll, I'll wait to do that for a second. I want to get to one more stat thing, and that's turnovers. Uh, the K-Man, David Kerman, who emails us all the time, is a, a great part of uh, of the, uh, the the community that we have here on the DBR podcast. He wrote and he pointed out that uh, Carolina's 19-7 to 7 points off turnover margin was more than the margin for the game. Uh, look, Duke had 11 turnovers. That's not terrible. It's not great. It's not terrible. But, man, you have to find a way to force UNC into more than five turnovers. Uh, In credit to them, they played a nearly flawless game, but Duke's defense 
was part of that. And we just did not do a good job of making them uncomfortable. Again and again and again, Carolina seemed like they were getting what they wanted. I mean, how many layups did we give to Seth Trimble? My goodness, Seth Trimble, look, he's a hustler. He's a good defensive player. He's sort of there, Jalen Blakes. By the way, hasn't played in three games. I'm not sure what's going on there. Mm -hmm. Jalen Blakes hasn't played at all in three games. It's kind of interesting. I'm not sure what's happening there. But anyway, uh, Seth Trimble's there, Jalen Blakes. We basically allowed Jalen Blakes to score 10 points against us. He he was, and and not difficult points. Like, he did nothing but shoot uncontested layups. And he did it again and again and again. It was just, and that was indicative, you know, going back to the turnovers, that was just indicative of Duke not putting Carolina in places where Carolina was uncomfortable with the ball. Turnovers come from being uncomfortable or or being super sloppy, which Duke was at times. I mean, my God. Caleb Foster had one pass that was just like, I don't know who he was passing it to, but Cormac Ryan got a layup off of it. It was just terrible. But, but bottom line is, Duke needs to do better at putting teams in uncomfortable position. Donald, we talked to Jay Billis. We talked in the pregame about how this Duke team is suffering on defense. You have talked extensively about how Duke has to improve their Ken Palm defensive efficiency. They have to be better on defense if they're going to truly be a national title contender. Our defensive, we gave up 90 plus points to Carolina. And look, they're a good offensive team, but they're not this good. And and that was a very, very frustrating defensive performance for the most part by Duke. I think another category for me before we get, again, get into individuals is we have been shooting very well from beyond the arc lately. And I said, if you know we want to beat UNC, that has to continue. This, of course, unfortunately, was the game where we did not shoot well from beyond the arc. Five for 19, 26%. Uh, you know, we, it, it, and it felt like every single one of those misses were on threes that could have changed the trajectory of the game, right? You hit a couple of threes to close a, you know, close a, a lead from 12 to six that forces UNC to take a timeout and forces, it forces them to have to adjust to your momentum. And you kind of have that air of, Hey, we can do this. We can come back. We can make this work. And every single time, you know, there was a lot of, you know, five point, six point swings where we'd miss a three. And they'd come down and hit a basket. And instead of it being, again, a, a eight-point ball game or a seven-point ball game, it was a 13-point ball game. And we just could never get, you know, you mentioned we never closed to within like eight the entire second half. And it just felt like every time we got within 10, we're like, okay, we're, we could hit this three. We're be only down seven. Now that feels like we're, we're in position to strike and really counter. And you'd miss the three. They'd go down, they'd hit a basket, and all of a sudden – Again, the lead's back up to 12 or 13, and you just feel like those were a lot of opportunities missed. And, it, yeah, you mentioned we had to work hard for a lot of our shots, but I feel like a lot of our threes that we missed that were a little more frustrating were open threes. And it it's not a it's not something that, quote, we need to work on because, again, I thought we, up leading up to this point, we had been shooting the ball very well lately. It just unfortunately was a regression to the mean type of game in that category. All right, so I'm going to get to it now, and I want to – caveat with this we do have a platform donald and you and i have a responsibility not to be too reactionary uh because we have people who listen to us we have a responsibility to be somewhat measured and frankly i don't want to be seen as bashing duke players all that said boy the emails we got about kyle filipowski were not kind mm -hmm. and uh, you know we had someone suggest 
someone said, oh, he should just declare for the draft right now. And we should get someone who cares to play instead. We had an email that asked if he'd outplayed a quality big man all year. And at first I was like, oh, come on. That's not fair. And then I started going back, looking at Duke's games against, you know, against really good big men. Having trouble finding a game where Kyle, like, outplayed a quality big man. Not that he hasn't. Oh, he's, had really, he's had really good games, but for the most part, they haven't been against guys that you go, oh, that guy's a potential all-conference kind of player. Um, We had an email where someone said he's soft and that Kyle plays with a sense of entitlement. Look, I, I think those are a little bit overdone. But Kyle Filipowski's in a bit of a funk. He's two for his past 16 on three-pointers. He only has two offensive rebounds in his last three games. I'm going to repeat that. Kyle Filipowski, who is seven feet tall and plays close to the basket for the most part, only has two offensive rebounds in his past three games. He was thoroughly outplayed by Armando Baycott in this game. You and I talked, I was talking about the matchups and how interesting the matchups were in this game. And my la very last comment in our preview was I said, I just think it comes down, I think the biggest matchup is Baycott and Filipowski. If one guy thoroughly outplays the other one, that team's going to win. And it's ironic because when we asked Jay Billis that, it was he mentioned, "Yo, if, if you shut down R.J. Davis, this that's probably the bigger yeah. matchup." And it, and it feels like we did that for the most part. Like I can say, you know, Jared McCain versus R.J. Davis. Edge, you know, goes to Jared McCain, but yeah, down low, it was Baycott, and that was that proved to be the difference. Yeah, the the Duke Sports Information Department sends out a recap email of every game, and in their recap, they usually, you know, they note, note the highlights in the game, things like that. In their recap this game, they said, Kyle Filipowski finished with five rebounds. That's his 19th game this year with five rebounds. Like, that's something to be proud of. He's seven feet tall. He plays 35 minutes a game. He damn well better get at least five rebounds. I mean, come on. You're really praising him for getting five rebounds? Kyle Filipowski has got to do better than he has been doing lately. And I'm going to fold this into something else, and then I'll let you go, Donald. Tyrese Proctor was a total non-factor on offense in this game. One of six from the field, just two assists. I don't think I saw him create a nice opportunity for a teammate the entire game. Maybe, I, look, I don't recall his two assists. Maybe one of them was beautiful. I just don't remember it. Look, he did a nice job. I mentioned he did a nice job on defense on R.J. Davis. But if the price of him playing well on R.J. Davis was to utterly remove him from the offensive flow the entire game, I'm not sure we made a good trade there. In the pregame, Donald. When we were talking to Jay Billis, I asked him a very specific question about Kyle and Tyrese. I said, are they living up to expectations? I pointed out both these guys were considered potential lottery picks coming into this season. That Kyle Filipowski was a preseason All-American and Tyrese Proctor was the sixth man on the ACC first team. And I said, I don't think either one of them has played to those expectations just far this year. And Jay Billis's response was, maybe the expectations are... Or our fault, not the players' fault. Expectations are what other people think. You know, Jay Bills gave a very player-favored player favored kind of answer, and that's fine, and he's not wrong about that. He deflected. But the reality is that neither of these guys are close to what we expected from them. Duke was a preseason top three team. Duke was a preseason national title contender because we figured our freshmen would be better as sophomores. They would be more consistent. They would expand their games. And frankly, I'm still not seeing it. If you look at their stats... Look, there are places here and there where they're a little bit better, but there are also places here and there where they're a little bit worse. These guys had been expected to be All-American contenders. They're expected to be lottery picks. And frankly, they have not played that way for the most part, and certainly not in Duke's biggest games this season.
And again, I've got a platform and I got to be careful, but I'm also going to call a spade a spade. And these two guys, Kyle Filipowski and Tyrese Proctor, did not play well enough for Duke to beat UNC. Period. End of story. I think for me, and we're going back to Kyle Filipowski here. Yeah, we set expectations on him, but that was because of the lack of expectations we had last season and how he delivered, right? Like we entered last season saying, yo, this guy's probably not even going to start. And not only did he start every single game, but he was one of the best players in the country. And we figured, wow, we get him back for another year. Just imagine how much he's going to improve. And and now he has two hip or two hip flip is back, right? We we have a guy who is operating with with no you know health issues whatsoever. And it feels like he has struggled to find his flow. And we've talked about whether he plays the four or plays the five. You know, he had a week that you mentioned he had, he was been very bad from beyond the arc lately. And that was coming off of a two-week stretch where he was hitting everything beyond the but from behind the arc, right? He was eight for eight one week. Yeah, he is and a, he's eight a roller for nine or something. Like comes that. to three pointers. Yeah. It's a roller coaster. Yeah. And it seems like nothing nothing comes easy for him. But I feel like what hasn't improved is his ability to recognize that and go for that. You mentioned he only has two offensive rebounds. One of the things he did the best last year was he'd go for a shot, he'd miss it, but because he was right there and he was taller and was, again, would hustle more than everybody else, he would jump up and grab it immediately and put it back in for a tip dunk or for another lay-in. And sometimes he'd even draw the foul doing it. We haven't seen that from him. We haven't seen where he's gone to the glass laid it up and put it in a particular position where even if he misses it, the only person who's coming down with it is number 30 in Duke blue. That just hasn't happened this year that I have seen in to the, to the, you know, consistency that we had last year. I think also what is not improved is his ability to respond to adversity. You remember last year, that Virginia game, he gets hacked in the last play of the game. He has zero points in that game. And he responds by saying, hey, I need to play better. I need to play more physical. The ACC is not going to lay it up on me. And and he just absolutely went on a tear for the next like six or seven games, all the way up until that Tennessee game, essentially. And this year, his response to adversity has not matched what we saw from him as a freshman. And I think that can go towards everyone on this team. Our response to adversity on this team has not been what is required of a Duke basketball team. That is the fact. The question now is, and, and I, again, we go back to the postgame press where all of them talked about the lack of energy, the lack of focus, the lack of effort. And John Shire was asked, what do you do to address that? And he just says, "We have it's our responsibility. We have to compete. We have to go back to, you know, Take responsibility, coaches, players, everybody, and get back to work. You have to put the work in. And for me, that has been what's missing. The fact that we we have slow starts in every single game, the fact that it feels like on the road we come out with just a, 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 not, not a level of intensity that is required. There's been two games, really, Jason, that we've had that on the road. And what games were they? They were Pitt and they were uh, Virginia Tech. Two games that I thought we played brilliantly on the road made it where the game was we were up 15 points or something like that early, you know, you know, mid towards first half. And it felt like we were coasting because we had it so easy in that game because the intensity was there. This is a game that if intensity was present in this building, Duke would have won that game. It's very simple. 
or at least would have been, you know, you mentioned the back and forth affair that it was early on. It at least would have been that it would have been a game for the ages for everybody, but maybe us uh, in our heart attack medicine or our heart, heart, heart blood pressure medicine. I, I think when it comes to Kyle Filipowski and the rest of this team, they need to learn how to come back from this with the energy, the intensity that is required every single time they put on that uniform because the world will not stop for them. Teams are not going to fold and lay over on them because they feel like they don't have the energy or the effort. We see it with other teams. We I, I talk, I joke about how UNC, it seems like everybody seems to roll over for them, but they don't do that for us. And at this point, it does not matter if they do it for other teams. I know they're not going to do it for us. That is the adjustment that has not been made by this basketball team this season. And I think that's what needs to change before Wednesday night. All right, with that, we're going to wrap up our coverage of this game with our play of the game. Donald, what's your play? Uh, there wasn't a lot, honestly, but the yeah. one I had was uh, in the second half. I think it was like midway through the second half. Uh, Mar- Jeremy Roach had a great dime to find Mark Mitchell open for a dunk. And I think it was the easiest play that we had all game. We talked about how nothing came easy to us. I thought that was the easiest play we had. And I, and I wonder if we figure out again, if we figure out a way to find Mark Mitchell more in those easy plays, find it where, you know, the defense gets lost on Mark Mitchell and Mark Mitchell finds himself into an open space. But I thought that was the best play of the game because it came easiest to us. There was a play where the score was 20 to 16 Carolina in the first half. And Jeremy Roach found himself recovering onto, uh, Harrison Ingram, who was open in the corner, and Roach forced a really poor three-pointer by Ingram. Um, it was an air ball. Jared McCain caught, raced the other direction. The entire defense came toward Jared McCain, and he found Roach on the wing to take a wide-open three-pointer that he buried. I think at that point, Roach had like like 10 of Duke's 19 points or 12. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he, he was all the offense, but it, was, it made it 20 to 19, and I felt like at that moment, Carolina had been playing about as well as they could, and Duke had been playing about as poorly as they could. And I was like, we're only down one point. And I felt really confident. I felt really good. Didn't go very well from there. <laughs> yeah. But that was my play of the game. I thought that it was an example of good defense leading to good offense and a easy opportunity for Duke, which we got precious, precious few of in this contest. Mm-hmm. Dude, let's move on to player of the week. I think there's only one contender, but go ahead. Tell me who you got for player of the week. I got Jeremy Roach. He combined for 36 points, six assists, three rebounds. He shot 60% from three. And again, against Virginia Tech, I thought he was mesmerizing. And again, I, I thought he had the best play um, uh, of the of the night when he buried that three. Again, when Virginia Tech was close, trying to close in, he hit that three at the buzzer at, in the first half. And it, and it felt like uh, Virginia Tech couldn't come back for that. And like you said, against this game, it felt like there was many times during the game where Jeremy Roach was trying to take over this ball game, or at least was attempting to on Duke's side uh, from an offensive standpoint. But I thought he was the player of the week. Yeah, I'm also going with Jeremy Roach. I was going to say Jared McCain had a had a really really nice week. He had ten rebounds in mm-hmm. both games against Virginia yep. Tech and UNC, and he was clearly the best ga- player in the Carolina game. But but uh, Jeremy Roach was outstanding in in both contests, and uh, it, it, you know he's having the senior season that we all hoped and prayed he would. And uh, it's really it's really been special to watch and 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 enjoy. So yeah, I'm also going with him for our for our player of the week. All right, Donald, we will be back in just a couple of days to preview the next contest. Blue Devils are are back in action this week, and uh, yeah, look, coming off a loss, it is very very important that you play well. Schedule gets a little bit easier here for a little bit, 
We got three game homestand, Notre Dame, Boston College, Wake Forest. Um, all three of them teams that you would think Duke should do fairly well against. This team needs to figure some things out though. So Jason, yeah. be- before we get out of here, I just want to let people know a couple episodes ago, I teased that we were going to have a YouTube channel set up. Well, that YouTube channel, literally five seconds, Jason, before we started recording, oh, went live. Awesome. So every single episode of the Duke Basketball Roundup you can find on our YouTube channel at DBR Podcast on YouTube. You can go subscribe there. You can, if you're someone who watches videos and you know, listens to stuff on YouTube music, you can find us on there and add us uh, to your rotation. So that's there. But also, Jason, remember uh, the Homefield Collection just dropped on Friday. Uh, DBR Podcast, that's how you save 50% off your order. Go to Homefield Apparel. They have a lot of cool stuff. And I, I can't wait to get the, uh, uh, the shirt that I ordered. So that would be cool. Yeah. By the way, the YouTube channel will not include video of us. It's just the audio. Not, not yet, but yeah, I know we've been talking about it, but yes, you will not see our faces just yet. We have to, we have to, you know, leave something uh, mysterious for you. <laughs> right. Exactly. Oh, <laughs> uh, by the way, I am going to be in town. I will be in Durham for both the Boston college and the wake forest games on Saturday, February 10th and Monday, February 12th. I haven't figured out exactly what I'm going to be doing. Um, probably just meeting up with folks at the Washington Duke. But, uh, I, you know, it's possible I'll try and bring a microphone and chat with a few of you folks out there in the wild uh, as I attend both of those basketball games. We had, we had really hoped that Donald was going to be able to make it down for the uh, for the Wake Forest game on Monday the 12th. We were going to try and do a, a live podcast from the Waduke, but with only one of us there, it doesn't really make sense. We can't do that, right? I just couldn't make it work. Uh, I am trying to get down for uh, the Virginia game, just looking for for some tickets for for me and my, my godson and my best friends. and. Uh, hopefully I'll make it down for that. But yeah, I was trying to make it down for the for the at least the Boston College game. Just going to make it happen. All right. But again, we will have a uh, preview prior to that game against Notre Dame on Wednesday, February 7th. Until then, he's Donald. I'm Jason. You can hear them now. Here's the Duke band. They're live right here. They're behind me in my living room playing. Duke band, play us out. Take us home.